for some unexplained set of reasons, I happen to be selected to be God. Because what I am is principle. There is no sky god. I do not attain to be the creators of all your worlds, but I am the creator of this world. I want to say one thing. Thank God for Jim Jones. Thank God for Jim Jones. You will not come to him that you might have life. The scriptures are death, but the spirit of Christ, hey, it's alive. I just don't want to pay like this. But I saw Jim Jones. I mean, I saw him with these eyes. He just walked to the door. I am the only fully socialist. I am the only fully God. So I'm now on the scene. I'm going to project myself. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to declare myself. Actually, I'm quite a very humble essence of being. I, I don't like to discuss my own work, but I have to tell you that the universe would not run without me. Welcome to Worldview Clash Class. People's Temple, Episode 3, The View from the Pew. In this episode, we take a look at People's Temple from the perspective of former member Reverend Hugh Fortson. We'll look at what it looks like to enter a meeting to become a member of People's Temple, as well as a brief look at some People's Temple theology. They'll let their light so shine outside that men can see their good works, and inside they'll make a joyful noise. They'll have a sweet smile. There'll be a countenance on their countenance that's not like anyone else. Everybody will know that Jesus is here. And that's what the world needs to know that somebody has making God real on earth today. Hallelujah. Bless you. My, 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 my. I do not want you in any way to betray your knowledge. To betray knowledge is to blaspheme. You've got to lock it up in your heart and keep it there as a mystery. But don't help people along. When you help a chicken out of an egg, you kill it. When you want somebody out of its shell, just keep it warm. Keep the shell warm. Warm it with the love that I have set a fire on the altar of your heart. Flame it with the passion of this revolutionary love. Engulf it with the heat of my holy nature. And then it will hatch in its own due time. Remember your first meeting, the first meeting you came to at People's Temple? Oh yeah, that was down uh, in Los Angeles at Ninth and Grand at the Embassy Hotel. It was kind of an offshoot hotel, but they had a nice meeting room, um, kind of theater style. And uh, my mom had told me about she had heard. Well, she she went to a couple of those meetings down there with one of her former girlfriends and she was telling me she was so excited because it was black and white and they were singing together and uh, worshiping God together and the more I listened to it the more I got kind of disturbed I said nah they, I was saying to myself all of that I said something you know I said I'm gonna go down there myself and check it out and that way I'll come back and I'll uh, 
those holes in her balloon. For the first time I went down, it was interesting because uh, when I approached inside of the building, there were some young ladies, if I remember, they were old young ladies, and they had these long blue dresses on, and they had uh, cords and uh, places for your name, address, and telephone number at that time, and they were greeters. And they would greet you with a nice smile and welcome you into the place. And then they'd say they would like to get your name and address so they can put you on the mailing list and keep you updated when they come down again and that kind of thing. And so I did. I didn't think anything of it. So when I went on in, uh, service had already started, if you will. And uh, a couple of the older pastors were up kind of sharing a little bit in the word of testimony about how they came to the church and how they met Jim Jones and and uh, they always would say at that particular time with the Lord Jesus Christ working through Pastor Jim Jones, everything was on that mode. And from there, they went into, uh, they brought the choir out, and the choir was uh, a group of seniors, uh, middle-aged, young people, black, white, every color you could think. And uh, some of the guys had on black pants and a blue shirt with a tie. And the women had on the same type blue dresses as the uh, the ladies who were there at the door as the greeters. So they sang, it was different in a sense because they sang like upbeat um, songs that they had kind of changed the, the wording somewhat. But it was still, you know, you could go, if you knew the song, you'd kind of go with it, even though they had changed the words somewhat. But at that time, it was all about, you know, once again, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ working through Pastor Jim Jones. Mm. They made a couple of songs. Then they had uh, some people come up who were part of the temple because they were in the uniform type thing. And they were sharing um, how miraculously the Lord working through Pastor Jim Jones, their life was spared. And that's why they're here today, uh, working with him and being a part of the people's temple mm. because it's a place where we can help other people. Well, I listened to that for a while. If I remember right, they sang one more song, and then one of the other pastors, it was about three of them at that time, came out and shared. There was two black and one white, and uh, had been there. All of them had some kind of history with Joan. Matter of fact, one, well, two of them actually came all the way from Indiana up to Redwood Valley, and from there to down to here. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they did maybe one more song, and by this time, you weren't getting bored. You were just kind of, I was kind of flowing into it, but it was like, okay, it's a little different, but uh, I can deal with it. It wasn't the traditional type. And then I saw this gentleman come out and uh, he looked white. He had jet black hair. He had a shirt sleeve velour shirt, a striped velour slip over shirt, black pants, black shoes, and he had on sunglasses. So my immediate thought was, what's this dude doing with sunglasses on it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're trying to build and it's not that bad. So I didn't, I didn't go any further with that, but I didn't know that that was Pastor Jones. So he stood to the side for a minute, and then they introduced him, and he had, looks like he had a Bible and maybe another book and maybe even a magazine in his hand. And so he walked out to this uh, uh, podium that they had created, I guess it's one they take with them underneath the buses. And uh, he began to welcome us and, and, and 
began to have them to sing a song along with him. And then after he sang, sang his song, it was a song, he began to go into the area of, um, of talking a little bit, I mean a teeny weeny bit, of scriptural reference. He brought out a scriptural reference. And from there, he began to unload and unload how uh, Jesus said, take care of the widows and the orphans. And that's what we're doing. To set at liberty those that were what? Boozed. To bring deliverance to what? Those that were in prison. He was all right, uh, he was all right till that point. He should have then just stopped, because now God's learning more. We're doing what the word says. We've taken X amount of seniors who their kids didn't want them no more. So we created our own um, Senior citizen, senior citizen convalescent home there in uh, Red Valley at the time. Uh, he never really gave a number on how many were standing in the home, but they were all being treated with love, and uh, people would come to see them. Some of the temple members would kind of adopt them in a way and come to see them, bring them little gifts and things of that nature. Mm. And and he was saying also that. Uh, and take care of the widows and orphans. We've taken people off the street and we didn't have a place to stay and given them a place to stay. And some of them who just at the point of taking their lives and, and we met them right at the appropriate time to spare them, that their lives were spared. And now they're productive citizens. They're, they're uh, working in some of the um, uh, areas. Some would have learned to become plumbers, uh, carpenters, um, laborers to work in that field and we're doing quite well so i'm listening and sound kind of interesting because i i i hadn't heard of too many people speaking like that other than uh the the black muslims at that time okay and that just i just didn't adapt to all what they were talking about and i didn't stay around that much either and so but uh this seemed kind of interesting and then after a while they took up an offering now, mind you, I do believe that one of the older pastors had taken up an offering, too. And after they had given a story about someone that was off the street that they are taking care of now and have given them a place to live, them and their children, that kind of thing. And so excited people, people get off. And then, then Jones took an offering, they into it. And then he said he was going into revelation, mm. not prophecy, but he called it revelation. And the ministers that were in the local area around him began to clear the, this area. And they'd given him a microphone with a long cord on it. Now, I noticed something, and this happened continually. And in his meetings that I was in, there was one lone nurse would come out, and she would look like she had a life magazine. It was about that size, because they were kind of big back in the day. And she would just place it on his pulpit. She wouldn't make any, you know, uh, that was her job, to come out and just place it there. And eventually he would start flipping through it, flipping through pages or whatever, because the way the pulpit was built, you couldn't really see unless, you, and even if you were in the balcony, you couldn't really tell what was going on. Mm. However, after that, he would call either someone's name out or he said, there's a person, you live on such and such a street, uh, you got a red fence, and maybe your house is green and yellow, and he'll make some distinction, and you'll hear somebody back in the back say, that's my house, that's my house. 
And if he if he's going to minister from there, he'll minister right from the pulpit. Otherwise, he would take that long uh, stringed microphone and head out to them. And in the midst, he would have a barrage of folk going with him. A couple of nurses. Uh, we didn't know. I didn't know at the time this was security. I just thought these were guys that worked with him. But they they you know they were dressed normally. They didn't have any. You couldn't tell if they had a gun or a knife on them. But later on, you find out that they were his security needing to protect him. And from that, uh, I saw something I really hadn't been around in that respect. I mean, I've seen some people pray for people in churches, the different churches, because I was never really established in a church until I got out of well high school. Uh, I started going to St. John's Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. and I got uh, confirmed there, and I became an altar boy, and it, one time I thought I was going to even become a Episcopal priest. However, they, they messed up. They took me to one of their conventions in San Diego. And uh, I'm, I'm a little guy and I'm just looking around. And during the meeting, these gentlemen, I don't, it wasn't that many ladies at that time, but most of these gentlemen had their little collars on and they were right reverend this and Mm. Our bishop this, and I'm thinking, woo wee, wow, these are big wigs. But that night in the hotel bed, <laughs> they partied hardy. The collars was off. They were running down the hall with bottles of liquor in their hand. And I don't know what it, when I looked out the hallway and I saw that, and I went back into my room, and uh, I quickly got in the bed. I, I it, it kind of threw me, you know. And that was judgment on my part, but. It just didn't seem like uh, something I wanted to do, to do a one-day-a-week job. I figured I, if I had an opportunity, I'd want to help somebody all week long, even if it's a different person. So, so that, uh, after the meeting was over, and mind you, he never uh, called me out in one of those type meetings. I was around, working most of the time. So that very first initial meeting was interesting. So I challenged myself again to come back, and uh, I figured I didn't see what I needed to see, the negative stuff so that I could straighten my mama out. And so after I came the second time, it was like a more advanced uh, indoctrination, and I just kind of started falling in love with the, the organization, because the more they talked about helping people, that was my heart, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't think I could do it as a social worker in a, in a good way um, with the US movement, the, the black Muslims. Uh, I think there may have been one more group around, but I didn't feel I could do what I was feeling in my, in my heart that was happening here, at least I thought was happening here. So I talked to my girlfriend and she had been a part of St. John since she was about two. And so, uh, Rhonda, we had talked about it, and so I brought her one Saturday because they were coming down every other every other weekend. They would come down here to the embassy auditorium. So she went with me one time, and we were both in agreement that uh, this was kind of a great thing. Mm-hmm. We, that's the way we viewed it. And a little bit after that, uh, we had made plans to get married, and so we decided to jump ship to leave the organized Episcopal Church and be a part of the People's Temple because we felt like we would be helping people. And this was way before Junktown or anything like that was even talked about. What year was this? 
about? I would say this was like uh, late 71. Okay. And so in that, we, uh, we actually you know, signed our name on the dotted line that we wanted to be members. And then things just started accelerating. I guess after about four or five months down there at the Embassy Auditorium, Jones had said that, you know, he feels that we need to set up our own uh, building down there. And there were a couple local pastors that had storefronts and they were offering that to him, but he said, no, uh, um, you know, I appreciate what you're asking uh, or saying to me, but I, I'm feeling like it's going to be a little bit bigger than it was. And so they end up finding a place for, which was on uh, where Alvarado and Hoover comes together just before you get into downtown area, downtown Los Angeles. And it was an, uh, an old, I think it was a science of mind and a beautiful brick building. And, but they had moved to another facility closer to USC. And uh, from my understanding how they built years ago, that had been abandoned for a few years. And so he went in and made a deal and, and, and got that one. And uh, then we started having meetings there. And then the opportunity for, I guess you say, for not only work, but advancement, if you want to call it, opened up because then they needed everything down there. They brought in a few of the young pastors from up north to head it. But the workers was like myself, um, my wife, Rhonda, and a few others who did what we were seeing. It wasn't so much as the man Jim Jones. It was it was the practice that we were going to do and had started to do there in uh, the L.A. area. And so with that, I mean, um, most of us joined what we call the security team, and that meant you would donate once a week, four hours, to come down to the church area and just walk around to make sure nobody's printing graffiti or breaking windows out, that kind of thing. And if you did see something, then you had a uh, shortwave radio, you would call downstairs and uh, let the person who was in charge on the desk, they would make a decision whether or not they needed to call the police to come and uh, handle a situation. And from there, it was like everything was going. Wow. So at what point in all this uh, do you see like a, a red flag is there any point uh, you know in in this early stage where something seems uh, strange to you or was was everything just totally copacetic well uh it was a couple of things but i i just didn't heed the warning when they would come down every other weekend what he started doing he was having a, a saturday and sunday meeting and then I think it was on the, he only did this for a few months. He would start having a Thursday meeting where he would come down with just a handful of people instead of uh, several busloads of people. And they would do a service on Thursday nights. However, it didn't, uh, it didn't pick up the momentum like he wanted to. So he stopped that. So it was still on every other Saturday. Uh, every other Saturday and Sunday, actually. So what they did at that time, I had the uh, I had been appointed part of the uh, well in charge of the cleanup crew, and that would mean we would have the church cleaned up before they got there, and then after they left, we would clean up as well and make sure it was in tip-top shape. And if 
maintenance needed to be done, then we had a few people who could call, or we called outside uh, vendors to come in and handle it and pay them with a check, that kind of thing. But it, it was quite interesting. It was a, when I got appointed that he called them his missionaries. He would send down, and, and usually they were like three to four uh, young white women. There was one older woman, but most of them were the young ones. They would come down, say the Pharisees who used to come down, and then what he would do, he would have them, the knowings to me, they needed vehicles. And so they would ask me to ask the congregation if there's anyone that would uh, allow them to drive their cars. They would fill them with gas, clean them up before they gave them back to the persons. And if there uh, was an accident of some type, they would, the church would pay for everything. So I had a handful of people who would always loan me their cars to make sure that staff or the missionary worker, as you call it. Now, I had no idea they were up to what their mission was because that, that was like none of my business. So they didn't tell me those things. But as it were, what they were doing and how I found this out, and I hope I'm not double talking so you're somewhat confused, but I allowed them to use my VW412 one time. And when I got the car back, it was filled with gas, it was washed up and all that good stuff. However, I was getting ready to leave the parking lot and for some reason, I just decided to reach inside of the uh, glove box. And reaching inside of the glove box, I found a stack, maybe about 10, maybe 12, three by five cards. <laughs> and on each one of these cards, it had a name, had an address, and then it had other notations of, it didn't make sense to me. They had other notations of, I guess, stuff that was in people's house or something, or on the block, whatever. I didn't keep with it. So I proceed. I said, well, I need to take this. This must have been one of the uh, missionary workers. They forgot it. So when I got to the back door at the back of the church, and this was in L.A., and I, I banged on the door, and when the door opened, it was Jim, Jim Jones. And he said, yes, uh, what, what can I do for you, my, my son? Mm. You know, he always played that thing like he was really our daddy and that kind of thing. And uh, I said, well... And as I handed it to him, I said, well, um, some of the missionaries used my car, and I guess they probably left us in it because it's not mine. And when he looked down at him, he pulled his glasses, sunglasses down, looked at him real close, and he grabbed him and pulled him to his chest. He said, oh, my God. He said, my God, these are very, very valuable to the ministry. I says, oh, okay. He said, did anybody else see these? I said, no, no, I just found them. I was getting ready to leave, and I just found them. So I bring it back. He said, well, we really thank you. We thank you. He said, I I'll get them to the proper party. So I left alone. Didn't even think about it. And I think it may have been less than a week after that, I get a call from one of the same persons, um, missionary workers. Um, at that time, I think we had just started calling him father. Because he said, uh, I am your pastor, however... If you see me as a friend, I'll be your, your friend. If you see me as a father, I'll be your father. He said, I can, I can help in many ways because I have many resources. And uh, he's not one that just going to say, hey, come. I'll pay you how to be with you to that house note and then have you sign documents that if you don't pay it back, 
then it was going to be part of the churches until such time you did pay it back. Mm. But really, it was like a business, but I didn't learn the deep uh, inside of that until sometime later. But I got appointed to, uh, as a counselor, that was the first deal. They wanted me to, they said, uh, Jim wants to put you in as the counselor hmm. of a father. So I said, oh, okay. So, you know, you think it's a pat on the back and you're doing well, doing something right. And so that was part of that. Then I became um, a part of the security team. Then I also became what's called an apostolic guardian. In other words, uh, I was part of a team. I think it was one or two women, but everybody else was male that when he was on stage speaking, they decided to try a new tactic. And this was, this individual would be standing far behind him against the wall, also with a briefcase. And in people's minds, they would say, well, that's his security. And one sense, yeah, but the briefcase was actually empty. There was nothing in it. And my mind kept saying, well, why am I up here with an empty briefcase? But then I realized, psychologically, he was, he was freaking people out. He had them, you know, thinking that that could have had something in there that could have taken them out. Mm. So, in that, it was interesting because it seemed like the more you did, the more you got uh, put in positions of, I guess, of trust or maybe even uh, him watching you in a different way. You know, because he was very paranoid. He always had uh, different stories about people that had come to the temple and left for whatever reason, and they lied or they stole money. At least that's what he would give a scenario. And even one of them, he claimed uh, actually uh, raped a child kind of thing. So that way, if you met them on the street, you didn't want to talk to them all because of what you had already previously been told about those individuals. So that was a... that was that was one flag. Uh, later on, when he called himself God, he would always try to tie it in where the Bible says, uh, "Ye are gods." Mm. It is written, "Ye all are gods." We don't worship anything in the sky. We so he said, "I'm God. I'm God. Look at what I'm doing." See, he said, "I'm not like the local church. The local church tell you pray and believe." Or the local church tell you to pray and you'll get your reward when you get to heaven. He said, no, you need to live right now. You need a place to stay now. You need a place to stay, I will get you a place to stay. If you need schooling, I will put you through school if you're serious. He said, so if you need a job, we'll give you a job until we can get you into school so that you can learn a vocation to take care of you and your family. And, and he started producing that. And that's why he said, if you see me as a father, I'll be a father, because I will meet your needs. I am indeed a live wire, and there are many facets to my personality. If you want a friend, as my sister sings, I'll be a friend to the friendless. If you want a home, you've got a home. Anybody here that will try at all has got a home. So were you there for the service where Jones through the Bible, I understand that happened a couple of times, but were you, were you there for that? And if you were, like, what was that like for you? Like, how did everyone react, or were you there for that? Yeah, I was there for that. That was in Los Angeles, and this was in the, the big building. Well, actually, the San Francisco building was almost about the same size of the seatings. But it's interesting, he started talking about what, he, what the temple had done, 
and then what I have done for people, and da da da. And then at one point, he held up the Bible and he said, You see this Bible? He said, This black book has held down black people for the last 200 years. He always had to have something referencing to black people because he said, You have such beautiful skin. I wish I were born black. He said, But I wasn't. He said, My, my daddy was a KKK man. And my mother was just a little old woman, and, and thank God she had me, but I'm here, and I'm dealing with it. But he said, this has been the thing that's held you down. He said, I want to show you something. So he walks out to the middle right aisle, the, east, east, no, the west side aisle, and he rears back like you're throwing a football. And when he threw that Bible, the whole place got like, oh. it was just you could hear a pin drop. And he waited for it to hit the floor, and it hit the floor, and he looked around for about, maybe about a minute and a half. He said, now, did you see any electricity come out of the sky and strike me dead? He said, that Bible has no power to it. He said, those pages in that Bible are only good for wiping your, you know what? And by this time, a few of them did get up and started heading out. Some of them were laughing and some of them were like, okay. He said, let me show you something. He said, he had several people, he picked several people out of the audience. He said, now I'm going to tell this person something and I want them to pass it down. And when they whispered in the next person, the next person, by the time he got to the end, he said, okay, tell me what I said in this person's ear on the way back on the other side. And everything they said was totally wrong because the story changed. He said, so how can you believe in the Bible that's over 2,000 years ago, supposedly, same story, and you think that it's all legit? He said, you're crazy. Mm. And some people were saying, hmm, wow. So he would try to make sample examples of things like of, of that type, type of thing. To make you think, and really, in my opinion, what he was literally doing is pulling any outside spiritual support that we may have had or beliefs that we may have had to try to bring us into it. And he used to say quite often that uh, Jesus Christ was a socialist. Mm -hmm. He said, socialism only means we're coming to make a change. He said, did not Jesus do that? He changed that old system from the Sadducees to the Pharisees. He changed the whole system. He said, and that's all we're doing. He said, we're fulfilling the word. We're doing exactly what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he healed and delivered. He said, everywhere we go, we heal and deliver folk. And some folks were like, uh, oh, sounds good. Sounds so good. Now, once again, I wasn't that uh, in-depth with the word of God at that point even, because you didn't have time to study about You didn't even have time to really um, focus on what was going on, the basic stuff was going on with you because there was always something to do. Mm. And if there was nothing to do, there would always be a crisis situation where somebody went to jail for some silly thing or somebody um, uh, got, in, uh, got, got in a situation where they're in the hospital and we got to help figure out or somebody is in need of a lawyer to help save their home, that kind of thing. Wow. 
So there was always something to do, but then you were always treated like if you were one of the fellow workers, then we appreciate you and, and we want to let everybody know what you do and what you have done and are doing to, to help advance people to move forward. Hugh Fortson would go on to play an interesting role in People's Temple. He became the associate pastor of the Los Angeles branch, serving with David Parker Wise. And eventually, he, his wife, and his young son would fly to Guyana to be part of the movement there, part of the settlement of Jonestown. Hugh was called by Reverend Jones in early 1978 to go back with two others to the States to accomplish a mission that he had for them there. While doing the work he was given to do in the States, tragedy struck back in Jonestown, and he would lose his young son and his wife. Hugh's story stands as a testimony to us all that this can happen to anyone. It's very easy to be deceived because the spirit of, de of discernment is not operating in you. And discernment meaning you know what's before you. You know that there's something just not quite right. You may not have a full picture of it in your spirit, but with the time period we're living in now, with all the changes that have happened, and we won't even have to get into politics, we're talking about just natural stuff that's happening to people. People are, are, are looking, but the one thing I can say as a testimony, and even not using the word testimony, if they allow me five, maybe 10 minutes to just share how I got to see. And with that, a lot of people, their eyes become open. They say, well, I never knew that. And then they begin to ask questions, and bam. Then they got the information, but it's up to them to make whatever decision they want to make, you know, in regard to their life. And, in regard to their, their, their walk with the Lord. Join us next week for Worldview Clash Class People's Temple Episode 4 Miracle and Mirage, where we explore the movement as newcomers to People's Temple. Christian Life Church, I'd like to give a special thanks to Fielding McGee, who has been a great resource. I also want to thank the Jonestown Institute for providing all of the audio clips that we have been able to look at together. To get more content like this, visit us on the web at clcwaverly.com. That's C-L-C-W-A-V-E-R-L-Y.com.
Welcome to Worldview Clash Class. The eye hath seen, their ear hath heard, their heart has been stirred. They have seen the emanation of the hundredfold God manifesting through this temple. And it triggers a faith in them, and it quickens their spirit, and it causes their mortal bodies to put on immortality.